I feel as much, if not more, spiritual weight to animals than I do for humans. So like, I think it's speciesist for humans to be like, our brains are so incredible that we're way above animals because we can frack and speak English or whatever language. We're so much better. I just don't think that's true. Hello and welcome to Your Magic. I'm Michelle T, and this is an extra special episode for me because the guests today are two of my best friends. Nicole J. Georges, in addition to being my bestie, is an award-winning graphic novelist, a teacher, and the host of the podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Her most recent book, Fetch, How a Bad Dog Brought Me Home, is being adapted for television. We're going to talk about elderly chain-smoking witch babysitters, palm readers, and of course, animals. After that, we'll hear from Peter Anthony, who I met while sleeping out for Billy Idol tickets in 1986, and who I learned to read tarot alongside. Peter is an artist, a psychic, and a tarot reader, and today he has a ritual to honor a familiar who has passed over. Stay with us. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I have always been charmed by the notion of an animal familiar, those extra special animal friends who help a witchy person access a deeper magic, or who look out for you in a protective way, who seem to connect with you in a profound and personal manner. The concept of an animal familiar harkens back to medieval Europe, when witches were divided into cunning folk, those were the good witches basically, folk healers and wise people, and then witches, dastardly evil women getting it on with the devil. According to the wisdom of the time, both categories of practitioners had these familiars, animal guides they had special relationships with. The cunning folks' familiars were high vibes only, while the witches' familiars were furry bundles of hexes and curses. Obviously, in 2022, we know that these divisions between benevolent and malevolent practitioners were complicated and full of lies too intricate to get into. Today's cunning witch folk have reclaimed not only the W word, but for many witches, the practice of keeping a familiar, that animal companion whose energy feels otherworldly to you. Now, I'm not a person who gets dopamine off of animals. I get dopamine from shopping and internet approval, okay? I wish my dopamine dam opened up at something as wholesome and natural as the animal queendom, but that is not how the goddess built me. Because of this, I didn't think I'd ever have an animal familiar. I mean, I do love animals and I've had pets, cats mostly, and I've adored them, but I never felt like they belonged to me or that I belonged to them. When circumstances inevitably required that I rehome them, I did so without much bother, though I did feel a tad like a sociopath for my lack of misery. Why was my affection for my pets so detached? I chalked it up to my airy Aquarian nature, which held their autonomy in high esteem. That and the fact that I get my dopamine mostly from shoes and sex. Four years ago, on the day I was celebrating my son's third birthday, a celebration with a rainbow theme, a cat walked right off the streets and into my house. A tuxedo cat with bovine markings and black fur that came down from his pointy ears into symmetrical markings beneath his eyes, like a mask. 
He sort of looked like Batman as a cat. When he walked into my home, my son, along with his three-year-old cousin, exclaimed in surprise and delight. The two toddlers made quick work of awkwardly lifting the cat into smushing, uncomfortable hugs, while I stood, prepared to rip the beast from their hands at the first sign of his fur understandably rising. But the cat didn't react. He patiently waited to be released from their enthusiastic clutches, looking around my home with sharp yellow eyes. When he was finally freed, he trotted into the kitchen, a real bony Maroney cat, grimy, in need of some food and some water, and apparently some rest. He plopped onto a blanket on the floor and passed out. I have a picture from that day, after the birthday party had ended, after we'd gone to our favorite tacky diner for some lunch. We'd returned home, and I'd put the toddlers down for their naps. My son is still wearing the rainbow-striped sweatbands he'd gotten for his birthday, and he's in a deep sleep in my bed. The mysterious black and white cat is right there, snuggled into him. His long cat body stretched out the length of the toddler. When my son woke up, I showed him the picture and asked what we should call our new friend. He said, birthday rainbow. I can't say that from then on, birthday rainbow never left us. I can't say he always comes back. Birthday rainbow made his conditions known early on. Complete freedom, a demand I can appreciate. Currently, this is the third house he lives in with us, and after each move, letting him outdoors was kind of nerve-wracking. What if he got lost in the new neighborhood? What if he somehow made his way back to the old house and waited there for me, heartbreakingly confused? Nope, he always came back. He comes back to eat and to snuggle, to sit on my lap, or to find a hideaway that only he can access, high above the kitchen cabinets or rolled up in a bin in my son's closet. He always seems to know when I'm meditating or doing breath work and will come sit in the nest of my crossed legs, nudge a crystal away from me to bat around like a toy. When I find a shed claw or a whisker, I bring it to my altar. Is birthday rainbow my familiar? Truthfully, I have always dreamed of an animal that found its way to me. I imagined a dog on the side of the road or a rando reptile in need of a home. I didn't think a cat would literally walk right into my house, take a nap in my bed, and claim me as his own. Me and my son, and my mom, and my husband, and anyone who comes over for a visit, especially if you're allergic. Birthday will hop right onto your lap, grossing you out a little with his outdoor cat grime and dander, but charming you with his roguish, rakish, rascally ways. Sometimes I think that birthday isn't so much my familiar as he is everybody's familiar. This theory was somewhat confirmed recently when birthday came home from a couple nights out with a note bound with yarn and affixed with wire to his collar. Now, yes, I do get very alarmed when birthday stays gone for too long. When he vanishes for a whole day or two, sometimes three, I can't help but think a coyote has gotten him in inevitability. Does it make me sad? It does. I am not really a sociopath. But I do think that if birthday himself was given the choice between a shorter life of freedom and a longer life cooped up in a house, he would choose freedom. Even if it means he'll one day be dinner for a coyote, as so many wild rodents have been dinner for him. But the note, it read, Dear cat owner, your cat visits our home and we love him. What is his name? Please let us know about him. And there was an email address. This was most magical. A message in a bottle, but yoked to the collar of a cat. My cat. I quickly emailed the address on the note and gave the stranger on the other side the details. They responded right away. Happy to learn birthday has a loving home. They'd begun calling him Moo, which we do now as well, like a nickname. He'd been visiting them most nights for the past two weeks, slinking up to their window and making love calls. 
Here's what they emailed me. They wrote, our three cats have been so fascinated by their new friend. They watch from the screen windows and front door as my husband and I have gone outside to pet your handsome and loving birthday. He has been such a joy of a visitor and we hope to see him more. It was very kind of them to acknowledge my role as primary partner with the little your birthday. But truly, I don't believe that birthday moo rainbow belongs to anyone, which is perhaps how he works so well as my familiar, coming into my life, trusting that I'll love him in the freedom-focused manner he needs to be loved. When he meows at the window each morning while I'm making my coffee, I'm so happy to see him. Maybe I do get a little bit of dopamine from him after all. But what I am certain of is birthday isn't only my familiar, he's his own damn cat. Here's Nicole Georges. Nicole Georges, thank you so much for being a guest on Your Magic. Oh, my God, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Longtime listener. First time caller. This is really exciting because you've had me as a guest on Sagittarian Matters countless times. So I'm really happy that I get to return the favor. So what prompted you? Well, I, what prompted you to start the podcast? And also, like, how how is it Sagittarian? Like, what are, what matters are the Sagittarian matters of life, you know? Well, as you know, I'm also a bit of a poser Capricorn because I have a lot of Capricorn in my chart. So sometimes we have Capricorn matters. But so I am Sagittarius son. I've been a Sagittarius my whole life. And at some point, I always wanted to have a radio show. At some point, I, I worked somewhere where somebody had a radio show called Animal Matters, which sounded so 80s to me. Yeah, totally. It was an animal rights talk show on a local community radio. And it was like Animal Matters. Oh, I love it. And then at some point I was like, what if I just had a show or like a public access show or something called Sagittarian Matters where I just like interviewed interesting Sagittarians and we just talked about whatever we wanted to talk about. And just some of that spun into me having a podcast. And I was about to go. I'm an artist. I'm a graphic novelist. Sure are. And my, my job uh, sends me to a lot of isolating places in my head and in the world. And I was about to do a fellowship in Virginia around no one except for one friend. And so I thought, what a great time to start a podcast to break out of my isolation. That is so great. So listen, I like I know that you have a bit of like a witchy. I don't know if you would say you have a practice. I mean, I know you're a believer and a dabbler in the occult arts. Your most recent. No, it's not your most recent graphic novel, but your graphic novel calling Dr. Laura prominently features a visit to a psychic which then was also uh, talked about on your recent other podcast, which we can talk about, Relative Fiction, which is so incredible. So, you know, when were you drawn into the occult arts? Like, when did you notice that they were a thing? And like, how'd you start dabbling? When I was a kid, my mom would go hang out with different boyfriends for long spates of time and leave me with a witch. An old lady was my babysitter. This is also the first zine I ever saw. This is my root of whatever. It was an old lady with a poodle, with an apricot poodle. But she did a newsletter about being a witch, being a, she was a Gaelic witch. Oh, yeah. She did this kind of Gaelic witch newsletter for her and her witchy friends. She used witchy, witch clip art. You know, this is in the 80s. Oh my she God. smoked inside her trailer. I always thought she was going to die of emphysema while I was there. I was like, dear God, please don't let her die. She taught me about going to garage sales. She taught me about zines. She taught me. She didn't. We didn't like sit around a cauldron or anything. But this was my first deliberate exposure, other than astrology being tossed around in my household. But then, of course, uh, as an adult, when I came out, 
I just, you know, automatically was in the fold of astrological kind of goddess magic, witchery, animal communication. People, instead of going to therapy, were getting um, soul retrievals. Oh, soul retrievals. I had a roommate doing soul retrieval in the 90s. Can you explain to our listeners like what exactly soul retrieval is maybe as two people who've never actually done it, but have uh, been a uh, soul retrieval adjacent? It feels almost like inner child work, honestly. Uh-huh. It feels like traumatic things happened that made pieces of yourself split off or not get attended to or get harmed. And so then you kind of go through this is I'm completely just guessing based on what my friends have told me. So then you go through and you kind of tend to nurture or say or let let go or reabsorb those parts of yourself. Okay. And you do it through like a deep meditation, right? Oh, there's there's definitely a shaman. Yeah, there's a shaman who takes you like down a rabbit hole and you see different animals who are leading them to different pieces of their of their soul, their fractured soul. Doesn't that sound kind of fun, like a video game of your spiritual life? Yeah, it does, actually. Well, so currently the witchiest things that are happening for me are, yes, I do candles. Mm-hmm. I, I believe in them for whatever reason. I incorporate spirituality into my life. I love rocks. I had to examine my relationship with like capitalism around spirituality and just the idea that I could like go to the cute store run by homosexuals by my house and buy my way into having a spiritual interior um, or making my dreams come true. Okay, wait, stop and unpack that. So what happened? You know what? It was having a punk on my podcast. They came on Sagittarian Matters. And I live down the street from Spellbound Sky, which is a beautiful, beautiful store. But it basically was like... It's a great crystal store. We just got to really unpack, like, okay, what does it mean to... What, what it, like, you can actually, if you are a witch, if you're, if you have a spiritual practice, you could use any rock. That's true. To put your intentions upon and to focus your intentions and focus what you want. Yes. And also then, Michelle, talking to you about the dubious ways that some of these rocks are acquired... And the fact that some wonderful magic shops use things that I don't agree with at all, like palm oil, my like white passing spirituality is not worth the bad labor practices or the orangutan torture that goes along with some of the... um, That's palm oil, right? Yeah. Palm oil problem. Yeah. I was hip to this whole problem with the crystals through Dory Midnight, who's a queer uh, witch who was posting some stuff about it. And I was like, you know, it always, I, I, I like crystals so much. Like, and it's true. You don't need them. And if you want to just like go outside and grab a leaf from like, that just was shed from a tree, like there it is. There's some earth energy for you. Like go pull a rock out of your front yard. Like it's just as good, but also crystals are so pretty. And I did, I don't know. I have like my, my son and my, my uh, Mercury are in the seventh house, you know, which is ruled by Libra. So I like, I really do like pretty shiny things. It's like so terrible, but all that said, it's like, yeah, it's like, where, where are they coming from? Where are these things coming from? But I do think it's funny when people take crystals and do crystal grids to heal the earth. I, I've always thought that was very funny, <laughs> even before I knew about the dubious mining practices. Cause I'm like, but wait, y'all like they were in the earth. I took raw crude oil and I extracted it through fracking and I am going to heal the earth with this. I'm going to do an anti-fracking spell. I have to say, Caroline Paquita is the person who was on Sagittarian Matters talking about anti-capitalist witchcraft. Well, cool. Well, you know, I I love that um, in um, 
in your relative fiction podcast and in your Calling Dr. Laura graphic novel that inspired it, um, there's a, the catalyst for for you learning about these family secrets and then learning way more about yourself than you bargained for. It all came from visiting like a storefront psychic, a storefront um, palm reader who was like uncannily correct. I, I often feel like those storefront psychics are just like total hustlers. And like, I don't know if they're really psychic, but you had a life changing experience with a psychic. I'm going to tell you about it. And I want you to know that she is both and. So let me tell you what happened. And I'm going to tell you what we found out. So my friend whom I was dating sort of at the time took me to see this palm reader. It was like a two for one coupon in the back of the newspaper, probably like $10 to get my palm read. And within five seconds, she said, oh, you, I can see that you don't get along with your mom and you should talk to your dad more often. And of course, I said, well, that I can't do that because he's dead. And she said, just dead ass, just, you know, maybe the man you think is your father is dead, but your real father is very much alive. And listeners, it was true. I had been told since I was a baby that my father died when he was 33 of colon cancer. And so then when I'm like 21 or 22 and this woman's like, oh, no, he's alive. It just blew the doors off my reality. So that's kind of what Calling Dr. Laura is about. And that's what Relative Fiction, the podcast, follows that trail. Mm -hmm. But during Relative Fiction, Claudia, my producer, and I just walked up and down the street where that woman had been trying to get clues about her, that original psychic. And we found out that she was maybe part of this ring of grifter, this grifter family that came to Portland that would do that kind of thing where they would say, you have dark energy. Give me this money and I'll yeah. get rid of your dark energy. Because she said those exact things to my friend I went with. She was like, I can tell you're on drugs. And you're into something dark. My, my friend was like, well, I'm just wearing black and like maybe I have an iron deficiency, but I'm not on drugs or anyway. But and people with more money than us, we obviously didn't have any money. She would offer to take the hex off of them for money. Yeah. We met people that were like, if you find her, she owes me $6,000. We found mugshots that might be her from wow. this family who had just scammed people up and down the West Coast. So she was both psychic and a grifter. Okay. Okay. So sometimes psychic people are also criminals. And sometimes criminals are pretending to be psychics. So you, when you discovered that you had this family and then you went on to meet this whole side of a family that you didn't know. I'm really curious, like, did that have any sort of spiritual impact on you? Well, so when I got told this thing, you know, so my mom had obviously cut me off from this whole 50% of my genealogy. 50% of my biology was just question mark, gone. Everyone's dead. Sorry. So when all this happened, I found out that you know, I'm just going to spoil this for people and tell people that I missed meeting my dad by about a year. He died. And I had been told he was a con man my whole life, horrible person. And I found out that maybe that wasn't true. And there were other parts of him. And he had looked for me my whole life and wanted to meet me and was heartbroken that my mom told me he was dead. The bigger spiritual piece for me, you know, aside from that, like being able to soften my heart a little bit to the idea of this person was... I got to meet my grandmother who had been looking for me my whole life. And I really, I saw genetics. Like for the first time, I saw someone who looked like me. I saw someone whose brain worked like mine. I saw somebody who was like welcoming me into this family and this lineage of women. And then when she died, the day she died, I had this moment where I was in I pulled over my car. I found out on the telephone I was in Oregon in the suburbs. 
I pulled my car in a Target parking lot to sit on my lunch break and just stare in grief in this like desolate Target parking lot in the suburbs with like one scraggly tree with no leaves. A hummingbird just perched on it, which was her and like an animal she really liked. A hummingbird. I'd never seen a hummingbird just sit on a branch. It just sat on a branch across from my car and just stared at me for like 20 minutes. It felt unlikely and it felt like a, it felt like a spiritual moment or one of those kind of like the person's visiting you moments. So I do. I do feel I feel soul connected to her. What was her name? Bonnie. And what was her sign? I think she was a Capricorn. All right. There you go. I do want to talk to you a little bit about animals and like what is like your spiritual connection to animals? Because you're so devoted to animals. You're more devoted to animals really than anyone I know, like having your work being centered around animals, whether it's doing animal portraits or doing books about your animals, fetch being about your dog that passed, whether it's, you know, being in service to Ponyo's career as an internet influencer. I mean, there's, you know, being a lifelong vegan, there's like so many ways you've been of service to animals. And I'm just wondering, is there a spiritual component to that? Do you believe in animal familiars, etc.? I mean, I would call Ponyo my animal familiar, except for I feel like she deserves more agency than I would be giving her by being like, she's my spiritual. I don't know. I want, I feel very lucky to have Ponyo's a, a blind one eyed palm chi who's on Instagram at Ponyo George's. I mean, I believe that we are the same as animals. We are animals. I feel as much, if not more, spiritual weight to animals than I do for humans. So I think it's speciesist for humans to be like, our brains are so incredible that we're way above animals because we can frack and speak English or whatever language. We're so much better. I just don't think that's true. So that's like my baseline is like my life, my career, I would like to help animals. The spiritual part of that, I mean, I just share heart moments with animals sometimes. And I just want to be able to help them however I can. Like I, I trained to be um, an animal communicator at some point. And then I kind of put that down because I felt like a grifter. I felt that the, the training felt griftery to me. But then I realized when I was doing pet portraits, I was actually animal communicating. Really? Like, what did that feel like? It just feels like getting to spend time with their soul. It just feels like their energy. It just feels like really sitting. And I mean, it's all the things with any other kind of channel where you're sitting with yourself, you're having to quiet yourself, quiet your mind in order to like really understand like, how does this animal look? What's the energy of this animal? And then transmitting that to paper. I mean, whenever I'm drawing anybody, I feel a little bit like I'm animal communicating with them. Like you're really having to channel them. You're having to put yourself in their shoes and really think about how they act, how that you're having to really observe and just like sink into that. So I'll never draw anybody I hate. Like I never drew the past president. I never would. I couldn't do it. I don't want to spend time with that person. It felt like it feels like kind of like I heard a witch at the beginning of the presidency say that she wouldn't hex 45 because then that would give a spiritual energetic tie between her and him. And I feel that way about people I dislike. Like I feel like drawing and making portraits, I'm creating this spiritual tie between me and them, even just for that time. And so I don't, I don't mess with them.
listen, I've got, you know, I got this deck of tarot cards here. I have the Crowley deck. Does it offend you? No. As a lesbian? Okay, good. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. And, um, would you have a question for the tarot? I want to know what's going to happen with the, with the books I'm proposing. I'm proposing a book based on relative fiction and I'm proposing a young adult book. So you're proposing a sort of follow up to calling Dr. Laura. Yeah. And then I'm, but then I also wrote writing this young adult, not graphic novel. That's kind of based a little bit on my partner, Kaya and me, but as kids and one of the kids fakes her own death and runs away. And it just sounds so fun, but I've never, I'm so insecure about it because I've never done that kind of thing before. What What do you mean you haven't done it? Because there, there's some fiction in it. It's fiction and it's deliberately for young people instead of me feeling like I'm being mature and then young people finding it and realizing that I met them where they're at. But that's But you have you do have such a youthful voice as a Sagittarius. You always will. Your voice will always resonate with young people and, and have a youthfulness to it. And it makes sense that at some point, you you know, you would to be as productive as an artist you are, you're going to need to do fiction sometimes because you can't always just be translating your own experience like in real time, like things need to marinate. Sometimes you go through time periods where you feel like you can't be writing about your own life, you know, for various reasons. So that makes sense. I can read on both of these things. Okay, great. Okay. So first, first I'm going to shuffle on the relative fiction book. So it's a book project that's based on the relative fiction podcast. Okay, so I'm picking three cards for relative fiction. And now I'm going to also, I'm going to shuffle. I'm going to pick three cards on this young adult graphic novel that is a departure for you because you're going to be working in fiction, making some stuff up. You're going to be deliberately speaking to young people as opposed to just landing there because you're a Sagittarius and you're just all, you're always going to just have like a teenage perspective on life. So let's see relative fiction. Ooh, that looks really good. It looks really good. Um, your first card here is the Aeon. Um, and then the Toth deck, you know, it's a riff on the judgment card, but it's really also very much a departure from the judgment card. And it's very much, and it's, it, it, it's a card of departure. I feel like this is so much a card of leveling up. It's about, you know, the, you know how the tarot deals in cycles, you're one through 10, all the aces are like new beginnings. There's a lot of new beginning energy in the tarot. This is new beginning, but like, uh, it's like leveled up new beginning. It's like, you know, if you just look at this beautiful sort of blue portal here, it's like the Egyptian sky god nut. And it's like, you're just walking like beneath her like body that's like blessing your advancement. Um, in the back there, there's, it's very groovy. In the back is the old Pharaoh who's like on the outs. He'd served his time. And then there's this little baby, ghost baby, who's going to be the new ruler. And so it's this idea that like you're rising to a new occasion within your life and you might feel a little out of your league. You might feel like, oh my God, I'm just a baby, but you will, you will grow into the role. So, you know, it's just sort of like a prestigious card. It's, it's really great. And then your next card, nine of cups, happiness. So that's a big yes. This is a really great Pisces card. And then eight of wands, swiftness, uh, Mercury and Sagittarius. You're so swift and witty. I bet that it, I bet this is you. So, you know, this is about things moving quickly, things moving in a positive direction. You have, it's about really great communication. It's the rainbow. It's like positivity. So these are just a bunch of yeses. So I, I love this. With the Aeon card, yeah, I'm almost wondering if you're going to like, you know, find a larger press, a larger publisher, like a more prestigious publisher, somebody who has more access, more resources, able to give you more resources. I sure hope that's what it is. But it looks good. It looks like a good project to 
to keep on with. And now this other, oh, this looks so good too. Nicole, you're, for, the, for the young adult book, the centerpiece card here is the Wheel of Fortune. So you, again, you have another major arcana that's very positive and very, very huge and about a big new change. So this is, again, like, a, like kind of a leveling up kind of a card. I mean, this is so gorgeous. I love the Wheel of Fortune in this deck. So it's like a big, am it's like all like golden amethyst. It's like so cool. Um, your other two cards are wands cards, which is the suit of fire, which is your Sagittarian energy. Um, the first one, two of wands, dominion, Mars in Aries. It's like going for it. It's just like, you're just doing it. You're, you're branching out, you're running with it. And this is really great energy because on the other side, here's the sad reality of having to finish a book of fiction. You have the valor card and it is a card of noble struggle. It's Mars and it's Mars and Leo. So Leo, you know, wants that, but you know, Mars is like a fighter. So there's more of a kind of a little bit of a struggle involved in the card. Valor, it's like, it's a yes card. It's very much like, I can't, I can't, but you do and you win. It's just like, it's kind of a whiny baby card in a way, but it is really saying like, it's hard. And I'm like, of course you got that because as I don't know, like as not to project my experience onto you, but also as a memoir writer, we both primarily write about our own life. Like the first time I sat down to do pure fiction, I was like, oh my God, this is so hard. Like you have to, you have to pave the road. Like with memoir, the story's already told, you know what happened. You just get to kind of play with images and words. And, but this is like, you're building the ground up. And some, there were definitely points where I'm just like baffled. Like, I don't know if this is good. I don't know if this means anything. So I just, I think this is just like the struggle of like creativity or creative struggle, like to get to the end. So you might get a little pooped during it, but you will get through it. You'll create it. Um, and it's going to be very, it's going to be a very good project for you. I'm really excited. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so psyched that both of your projects got these major arcana, great vibe cards. It's very cool. I'm very excited. My agent was like, are you sure you can work on two books at once? And I was like, you betcha. It's really funny talking to like, um, normal straight, like middle-class people, because you're just like, don't you understand? I've been working my ass off for, for like crumbs since I was like, 21 years old. Like, yeah, I can work. Five, I can do five projects at once with like no guarantee of ever making a dollar off of off of any of them. No problem. Well, to me, it's also like if I'm doing and this is just like a sustainability thing for anyone who's an artist, like if you're doing memoir that's hard, where you're writing about like, you know, shitty family experiences or whatever, it's nice to have a side project that feels different or a little lighter. Because also you're gonna get bored. Are there going to be days where you can't do anything because you're waiting for edits or whatever? And then you get your side project. It's such a good idea. And I think you might be surprised that even though like perhaps the young adult project might feel like the respite from the difficulties of, of, of delving into family dramas, you might find that like the memoir might be a respite because you know what you're doing so clearly. Like you, you really understand that terrain and you understand how to, how to make that happen. I think they'll feed each other in a really good way. Well, that's exciting. It is exciting. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being a guest here and talking about your amazing life. Um, I love you. I love your Sagittarian Capricornian nature. Thank you, Michelle. You're one of my favorite people in the whole world. God, you're one of my favorite people. So that makes me so happy. I just love you. I'm so glad you're on earth. And I can't believe how lucky people are. They get to listen to you on this podcast. Hello, lovely souls. My name is Peter Anthony. I am a teacher, artist, and tarot reader. 
I have always had a special bond with animals, and at all the stages of my life, I have been blessed with many special bonds. I believe animal friends come into our life for a reason, and they leave us when their job is done. This ritual is to honor their presence. It is a way to give thanks for your experience together and a way to assist you in living with this loss. For this ritual, you will need the following supplies. Three candles. I like the small taper candles. They're about four inches tall and they're skinny. They come in different colors and the colors that I'm recommending are one white candle for cleansing, purity, and for blessings. One blue candle for your emotions around this loss and for emotional balance. And one pink candle for the friendship, for the love and sweetness you experienced. Incense is also needed. Palo Santo. I use a Palo Santo stick and jasmine or lavender or something pleasant that you can have burning as you're doing this ritual. Paper and something to write with. This could be optional. You could also, instead of writing something down, you could formulate your thoughts or speak out loud as well. A picture of your pet is necessary and or some type of signifier, like a toy, their collar, a leash or their dish. Find a comfortable location where you could be with yourself and not be disturbed. To begin, light the incense, light the Palo Santo. The Palo Santo stick will burn out, which is fine. Light your other incense, then light the candles. Begin with the white candle to purify the energy. Then the blue candle, then the pink candle. Get comfortable, breathe, and now is the time when you want to begin writing or begin the conversation that you're about to have. In my situation, I did this ritual recently to honor my dog companion spirit. I wrote a letter. In this letter, I included my adoration for her. I included some special moments that we had together. I included a big memory that I had. I wrote about her cool look. She had really distinct features. I mentioned some playful times. I was sure to thank her for what she gave me. For Spirit and I, it was about many things. But most importantly, it was about trust. She would have walked into a fire for me. And my lesson was to welcome trust. Trust is the best foundation for love. Lastly, in this letter, I included my love for her. And I thanked her for the love that she gave me. I took another deep breath, or two, or more. And I sat until I felt the moment was complete. I let the candles burn down. Like I said, they are small and they will burn down in a short amount of time. If you need to blow out the candles, that is fine too. After this, 
I took a short walk around the spots where we would walk together. I came home and I enjoyed a nice treat. And I encourage you to do the same. Indulge in a sweet treat or a savory meal. But the point is to continue to enjoy some special time with yourself. You can listen to some music or dance or read or even take a nap. You deserve it. Grief is hard. I hope this helps. Thanks for listening. Peter Anthony, thank you for that tender, vulnerable ritual. And you guys, Spirit did have a cool look, a very cool look. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Your Magic and that you're able to connect to the magic of the animal world somehow through your pets and familiars or those of a friend, through a snail crawling through your yard or a pigeon pecking in the street. Like us, the animals have their own magic, their own energy, their own place in the cosmos. Thanks for tuning into Your Magic. You can support us, plus get access to a whole bunch of bonus content at patreon.com backslash thisisyourmagic. Every single dollar makes our work possible. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thisisyourmagic and subscribe to our newsletter at thisisyourmagic.com. You can rate us and subscribe right here on Spotify. Just do what you need to do to never miss an episode. And you can email us at hello at thisisyourmagic.com. We'd love to hear from you. This episode was produced and edited by Molly Elizalde, Tony Gannon, and Vera Blossom. We got production support from Angelica Christostomo. Our executive producers are Ben Cooley, myself, and Molly Elizalde. Our original theme music is by John Kimbrough. Thanks for listening. <laughs>